Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hello, everyone. Hi, I'm Bill Peacock, and I'm glad you're with me today on episode 73 of the Liberty Cafe. We've been blessed at the Liberty Cafe for eh, over a year now to have Texas Scorecard as our sponsors. Great group of folks over there working to fight for your liberty and mine and theirs as well. And, and really to bring the rights that God gave us or the, and the responsibilities that gave, God gave us to fruit in this world. Right? God created us to work in a certain way, for the world to work in a certain way. And that best way to do that is through voluntary actions in the free market, in families, in charities, in churches, and occasionally with the government telling us we're doing some things wrong. But the government is way out of line on what they should be doing these days. And so the folks at Texas Scorecard are helping correct that and taking us back more to a biblical model of freedom and liberty. So thanks to the folks at Texas Scorecard for sponsoring the Liberty Cafe, and I suggest you go over there and find out what they're doing at texasscorecard.com. Well, today I'd like to talk a little bit more about what I talk about a lot here, and that's why do some people want to intervene in markets? And Particularly today, we're going to look at the Texas electricity market. I've talked about that a lot over the years, and that's okay because I've done a lot of work in that over the years. I first got involved in the Texas electricity market back in 2005. And so now I'm going to just bring you a little bit of what I've learned throughout that time. And there's a whole bunch I don't know. Because even when I was working at this Texas Public Policy Foundation, on a regular basis, I'd be working on it on you know, maybe 10 hours a week, except when things really ramped up. Could be down to five hours a week, something like that. And I'd be up against people who were working at this thing 40 hours a week and had been doing that for 10, 15, 20 years. So it's kind of hard to keep up sometime, to be honest with you. But I think I've learned enough to understand that the way the Texas electricity market is being dealt with today by the Texas legislature, by the governor and the PUC and the generators and others just aren't working, isn't working very well. So let's talk about that today. So why is it that some people want to intervene in electricity markets or any kind of markets for that matter? Well, I think there's three main reasons. One is they see unfair prices. They think there's something wrong with the price that people are paying. And that you see that across the board in a lot of different people. Consumer protection laws are often designed to deal with something like that. I think what these people forget is that in most cases in a market that people are buying something voluntarily. They're doing what they want to do. They're buying what they want to buy because they want it and they're willing to pay that price. So I, I think that's a wrong rationale for it. Another rationale that people use to justify intervention is that there's market failure out there somewhere. Well, the problem with talking about market failure is that markets are really just made up of people. And so if the outcome of a market is not like some people would like it to be, remember, it's never like everybody 
it's not like everybody always thinks, oh, there's a better way to do this, because a lot of people like what they get in the market because they've done it voluntarily. But some people, you know, whether they're government regulators or special interest groups or consumer advocates, don't think they think the market failed because it didn't turn out the way it should have been. Well, so again, the problem there is, well, people make mistakes all the time and the market can't fix what people are doing. A market is just a system of voluntary exchanges. So what's the answer to market failure according to some people? Well, intervention. But you run into this little problem in the fact that people who are intervening in markets are people too, and they're just as flawed, if perhaps not more flawed often, than the people who are operating in the market. And so you basically you just have the opinions of a small group of people who are regulators, politicians, telling other people what to do and what they did things wrong, how they did things wrong. So I don't think market failure works. And then the last reason some people want to intervene in markets, I'd say, is self-enrichment. They want to get something out of it. And most often that has to do something with money and power. And those are not new concepts in this world, not new related to government or politics or anything else for that matter. And that's where you get subsidies and you get tax benefits and and you get regulations that are designed to favor some particular market or even some particular segment of a market or even some particular business in a market. And, and of course, it's not just the people who are making the profits in the private sector who can benefit from this. It's the people who work in the regulatory apparatus that can also benefit from all this. So self-enrichment is across the board when it comes to market intervention as well. So those are the three main reasons I suggest that we see as much intervention in and regulation of the market today as we do. And that's certainly the case when it comes to the Texas electricity market. So before we dive in specifically to the Texas electricity market, I'd like to go over a couple of theories, if you will. I love economics. I've been studying economics for really as long as I've been involved in um, in uh, public policy. Right? I started my first job in public policy back in 19, January of 1989. And then it was that summer, I believe, um, where I went to Irvington on Hudson, New York, and started learning about economics at this place called the Foundation for Economic Education, which is still around today. They've moved to Atlanta. It's a, a good organization. So let's talk a little bit about the theory behind intervention. The first thing is monopolies, right? Everybody gets all worked up about monopolies and it says we, we have to do something to regulate these monopolies. Right? Well, Murray Rothbard is an economist, or was an economist of the uh, Austrian School of Economics, which I think is the most accurate depiction of how God designed the world to work and people to interact with each other through exchanges, market exchanges, buying and selling with each other. Because that's really all economics is, is a description of how things work, how God designed us to work and the world to work when it comes to human interaction. And 
it's interesting, Rothbard and Ludwig von Mises, you know, the two most prominent modern spokesmen for Austrian economics, and they're both agnostic Jews. But it doesn't take a Christian believer to see how God designed the world. Now, ultimately, Christians will see that more clearly, but Rothbard and von Mises and a lot of others, believers and unbelievers associated with the Austrian school, have done a pretty good job of understanding God's design for the world. So Rothbard laid out three possible definitions of a monopoly. He said, well, one definition is it's a single seller of a product. Like if you have 100% market share, then you're obviously a monopoly. Well, the problem with that is products are different, and you have to be define a monopoly pretty narrowly in order to call somebody a monopolist in, in, in this single seller of a product. Let's say they have 100% market share. Because there's never actually been a 100% market share for any product that I know of when it comes to the free market. You know, monopolies like uh, Microsoft, they were called a monopoly. Well, how much of the market share did they have for operating systems on personal computers? Well, it varies, but it, it was probably up in the 70 to 80 percent. Uh, because who else was out there? Well, Apple at the time, and there were others before them and some and some after them as well. And so they never had 100% market share unless you define market their market as personal computers that had Microsoft operating systems on them. And they go, oh, monopoly, right? Same thing happened to Standard Oil back in the 1800s. Their market, of course, back then was kerosene because that was the big public... Um, product that was sold out there for lamps all over the United States. Public, you know, there were street lamps and private lamps in their homes. Everybody used kerosene for those. But they never had more than a 70% or so market share. And by the time they got broken up by the trust busters in the, in the late 1800s, they were down to about a 60% market share. So there's never really been in the private free market sector, a single seller of a product. It's just a made-up definition. So Rothbard discards that. He also says that another definition that people use is that it's someone who can charge a monopoly price. The problem with that is you can't ever figure out what a monopoly price is because it's hard, if not almost impossible, to figure out what the market price is. Right? You, you walk into a store and you buy a product, today and then you go in that same store to the next day and it's different or maybe you go down the street that same day and it's different i was just at gas stations when was that yesterday day before at a gas station and in the parking lot and the gas station across the street for me was 10 cents more per gallon of regular gas so there is no standard market price of any product Therefore, you can't figure out what a monopoly price is. So Rothbard also discards that one. So finally, he comes to the third definition of monopoly, which is someone who has been given a privilege from the government. And so that's a lot easier one to understand, and we can see how somebody might get too close to 100% market share on that. Of course, the most famous example of someone being companies being given privilege by the government is back in the founding of America with the Stamp Act 
and the T, so we had the T problem, and uh, I guess there was a T Act too, and there was paper. We had to buy paper with stamps on it. And what did the colonists do with that? Well, they took the T and dumped it into Boston Harbor. They were smuggling all back and forth. And one of the main drivers of the American Revolution or War for Independence was the economic interest of those who were fighting against the monopolies given by the Crown of England. Right? So that monopoly definition makes sense, but as you note, it's not a free market monopoly. It only comes about by the privilege given by the government. So that helps us think about monopoly in a different terms than we see out there in the public today. Yet all, all these concepts of monopoly are in play when it comes to the regulation of the Texas electricity market and what's going on with that. So, so what, where does all this come from? Well, one thing it comes from this concept of, of market failure. And, and we've already talked about that to some extent, right? Markets don't fail. People fail. Again, and so, but it also goes the other way. If somebody has an interest in a product and buys it, and enough people have an interest in a product and buy it, and let's just say, for argument's sake, that the product is so good that the only product even remotely like this is sold by one single company, and people go out and buy that, even if you get to 100% market share, what's the problem with that? People liked it. They liked the price. They liked the quality. They liked the convenience. Whatever they liked about it, they liked it, and they voluntarily bought it. So it would be hard for us to argue against a company operating in the free market that had 100% market share from this. It might be a monopoly from some definition out there, but there's nothing wrong with it. The only thing that is wrong with a monopoly is when the government is enforcing it on the people. Right? So this all came from, this, from a concept that's been around in economics for a long time called perfect competition. So what is perfect competition? Well, it's supposed to be a model that economists use in order to isolate certain factors and so they can look at a market and they can say okay we're going to hold all this constant we're going to make all these things look like this and then we can change one little thing over here and see what happens to that and it helps us understand the how economics work better and that's not a bad idea as a matter of fact it's a good idea but the way they did it with perfect competition and then the way they apply perfect competition is not a good idea so perfect competition is this concept that all products are homogeneous. There's no difference in the products. Whatever is in a market, it all looks alike, it all sounds alike, it all tastes alike, whatever that is. There's no advertising going on. There's no distinction between the product or the sellers of the product because there's these multiple small firms. You don't have any big firms out there. They're all small. They're all selling small portions into the market. Because of that, there's no price takers in the market, which means no matter how much they try and sell into the market, they can't influence the price because there's always somebody out there who will change, who, who will 
they, they don't have enough influence in the market. There's also this idea in a perfect competition that we all have perfect knowledge. And so we know what the price, what we need now, we know what we need in the future, we know what prices are going to be. And, and so there's no profit incentive out there because profit only comes from people who better forecast the future, whether it's the prices of products or prices of inputs into product making, consumer preferences, those kind of things. But if we have perfect knowledge, there's no opportunity for profit. So this is the world that the, some economists have created to use to analyze markets and how they work. The problem is that this world doesn't exist anywhere. We don't have a world in equilibrium. We have a world that is ordered because God is a God of order and he ordered our world. But it's not equilibrium. Things have always changing. Plus, in this world of perfect competition, there's no competition going on. Nobody's trying to make better products. Nobody's cutting costs. Nobody's slashing prices. Nobody's advertising. So it's a myth that perfect competition exists, or it's a benchmark that we can use to judge the real world. But unfortunately, that's what is going on all the time. And it's particularly been going on since the very beginning of the Texas electricity market, really ever since it got started. Well, that's all we have today for episode 73 of the Liberty Cafe. All this theory and background ran a little bit longer than I thought it might. So we'll stop there and then we'll come back next week and apply all this to what's going on in the Texas electricity market today and why we as Texans are in pretty bad shape when it comes to the cost of electricity of Texas now and particularly in the future. So thanks again for being here and please go to texasscorecard.com and listen in and look in and join the fight for liberty that's going on over there. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.